1: Colin said, uh, "My name is Wes Raspberry, and I'm one of the ministers here at Greenville Oaks. And I'm excited to um, share the word that I have been dwelling on and studying over the past month or so. Today, we're currently walking through the story as a church. It's a 31-week journey, and this week we're in chapter 13. We've taken a two-week hiatus uh, the past couple of weeks, but we're back to it today. Uh, but before we dive into the actual story." I want to share a couple things that have stood out to me as we have been going on this journey. First of all, this, this practice of going back through these stories has given me some new insight and new perspective into these stories that so often become familiar or common. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you read something again for the, for the first time in a while and you see a new detail or a new thing that stands out. Uh, secondly, it's introduced me or maybe reintroduced me to some heroes in these stories that kind of take a second uh, rate. They're, they're not the, the heroes that we so often talk about. I'm thinking especially of Aaron and Miriam, who are right alongside Moses leading Israel, or Caleb and Joshua, or uh, De- Deborah or Jael. All these people who, who are heroes in our story, but we don't often talk about them. They, they're like the second tier, uh, second string heroes, and lastly, this practice of going back through these stories has helped me see that these people in the Bible that we, that we read about, these heroes in our stories are people. They have faults, they have frailties, they have dirty, decre- uh, dirty details and secrets um, that we, we kind of forget sometimes, don't we? This week, uh, we're back into the story. We're in chapter 13, and this is the story and the life of Solomon. And Solomon might be one, this story might be one that you're familiar with, that you're um, remembering, and, and Solomon might even be a hero in your Bible. He was a relatively good king after David. His, his reign is um, categorized as one of wealth and prosperity. Um, he was the wisest man, perhaps, that the world has ever seen. He even built the Lord's temple, and, and, and he contributed so much to our scriptures, didn't he? Many of the Proverbs are credited to him, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs. So let's sing his praises, right? Sure, let's sing his praises, but carefully and cautiously, because the life of Solomon isn't all rainbows and roses. In fact, we often look at his reign with rose-colored glasses, and we only remember the good things, and we forget sometimes the bad things. Just like it's so easy for us to do this all the time, when we think about a time that was previous or prior to the one that we're in now, we, we think about how that was better or maybe simpler. If we think about January or February of 2020, life seemed simpler then, didn't it? We didn't have the coronavirus here. We didn't have to wear masks all the time. We could travel wherever we wanted to and not worry about it. We didn't have to feel like we had to hoard hand sanitizer or toilet paper. But COVID-19 was still in the world. It was still in the U.S. The legendary basketball player Kobe Bryant died tragically. Australia was on fire. And there were many mass shootings. And and we could go on and on about that, right? Now, I don't want to downplay any of the loss or pain or hurt that COVID-19 or this year has caused any of us. But my point is that we often only remember the good things and we forget about the bad. This can be true when we think about even a decade before or decades before. Life was better then. Life was simpler then. The good old days, life was great then. When I think about a decade previous to right now, I was in my first year of college and I was trying to figure out life. And and sure, life was simpler maybe then. I didn't have as many bills or responsibilities. I was in college. I was trying to figure out who my friends were. I was trying to figure out the dating world. I was also trying to figure out if ministry was a calling for my life or not. But I also began to see the cracks in my parents' relationship, the rocky road that ultimately ended in their divorce. And if you simply Google 2010 tragedies, One of the first articles to pop up is an NBC News article with the caption reading Earthquakes, heat waves, floods, volcanoes, super typhoons, blizzards, landslides, and droughts killed at least a quarter million people in 2010, the deadliest year in more than a generation. My point is that we often look back on a time and we only remember the good things or the good parts. I think we do the same thing when we recall stories in our Bibles. I know I've done this at least with the story of David, maybe even more so with the story of Solomon. But David was a man after God's own heart, right? He was this armor bearer, this faithful servant, this awesome friend, this Jonathan, this great poet. He was a lyre player, a giant slayer. From shepherd boy to king of all of Israel. But David also used his position and power to assault Bathsheba, another man's wife. And then when things got messy for him, he tried to cover it up and ended up having Uriah killed. And, and he was remorseful. He repented, right? When Nathan called him out. And I want to think that, that God's grace is big enough for David because I hope it's big enough for me too. But again, that's not the story that we often tell about David. So now we have Solomon. Solomon. Solomon was this great, powerful, wise king. We're introduced to Solomon in 2 Samuel 12. This is just after that uh, David, Bathsheba, Uriah fiasco. He's the second born son of David and Bathsheba. Their firstborn um, died a couple days after being born. And so along comes Solomon. Solomon takes the throne when he's 12 years old. Can you imagine inheriting a kingdom when you're 12 years old, a sixth or seventh grade student? But here's the thing. Solomon was actually fantastic in the beginning. Flip over with me, if you will, to 1 Kings 3, 4 through 14. It says, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased with Solomon, with with that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have, asked, you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David, your father did, I will give you a long life. Colin already showed my bias, but I'm the student minister here. I think maybe there's a lesson here for all of us in entrusting, empowering, and giving real leadership opportunities to the younger generations. Solomon's reign, again, is marked by um, wealth and prosperity and gain. Arguably wisely, Solomon marries woman after woman a lot in part for political reasons or for treaties. He sets up trade routes with surrounding nations, importing and exporting, growing Israel's wealth, influence. They have horses, they have chariots, they have military, and maybe most importantly of all, they have money. And was this a blessing? Yeah, sure, it seems like it, right? It seems that through his God-given wisdom, Solomon was able to lead Israel well. He was able to make great financial and political decisions and to accumulate perhaps the most wealth Israel had ever seen. Thus, it seems as though God had blessed Solomon and blessed Israel. So then we can all say with great emphasis and agreement that Solomon was wise. But I would argue that we should not just stop there, that we should maybe emphasize that word was in that sentence. You see, like many other stories in scripture and history that we only remember the good things and forget about the bad, the story of Solomon also ends tragically. In fact, we're told that Solomon received 25 tons of gold yearly, or as the Bible also puts it, 666 talents of gold. Flip over with me to 1 Kings 10, 14 and 15. It says the weight of gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of, uh, of the territories the fact that the authors of that particular scripture put it in that way should stand out to you if that number stands out to you good because elsewhere in scripture 666 is used to describe things that are bad evil or opposed to god so then we're left with the question how could these blessings from god this great wealth and power how could this be also opposed to god that doesn't make any sense I think it's the fact that Solomon started to trust more in his own wealth, his own money, his own things, and his own empire than in the Lord. One of my favorite scholars says it this way Empires accumulate. Accumulation gives birth to entitlement. Entitlement demands preservation. Preservation has consequences, and consequences are a burden. In empire, you believe in that which you preserve. You preserve that which you are entitled to, and you're entitled to that which you have accumulated. But not only is Solomon flush with gold, but the scriptures also tell us that he has 700 wives and an additional 300 concubines. Imagine that for a minute. We're told what ultimately leads to Solomon's demise is that many of his wives worship other gods than the true God. And that Solomon starts building temples for these gods and starts worshiping these gods as well. So what's the point? Solomon possessed great wisdom in the beginning. Again, Solomon was wise, but he was also pretty foolish. This great hero, this king, uh, who led Israel to great wealth and influence and power is often when we put up on a pedestal. But if you're anything like me and you've had the experiences like me, people that we put up on pedestals often fall down. It's so easy for them, for the for the pedestal to get knocked out and then to come crashing down. And it's easy for us to look at this story and say, how could you be so foolish, Solomon? You had it all. You had more than we could ever imagine, Right? We could even do that here today, right now. Look around and say, how could you be so foolish for this or for that? I turned 30 recently, and I feel like I've already seen a lot of foolish things in my life. One of the ones that stands out to me was from a couple of years ago in 2016 when Apple released their uh, Apple AirPods. These are wireless earphones that connect to your phone. You don't have the cord. I didn't know I was frustrated with the cord until Apple told me I was, right? But they were. it wasn't the fact that Apple was innovative. It wasn't the fact that they were revolutionary in making these wireless, cool, trendy AirPods. No, that, that wasn't the foolish part. The foolish part was that third-party companies started to create, and we, consumers, started to buy these strings that connected your AirPods together so that if one falls out, you don't lose it. Do you see the irony here? We went from wireless, or sorry, we went from wired earphones to wireless earphones to earphones with strings, or wires. And it's not just that. I've seen, especially in our area, Collin County, this area where we enjoy affluence. Parents buy their 16-year-old brand-new drivers, people who are still learning how to drive brand-new cars, even luxury or sports cars. I've seen cities and school districts spend tens of millions of dollars building these great buildings, and stadiums that sit empty a lot of days of the year. I've seen people become so emphatic, emotional, and perhaps even obsessed about what happens on a field or a court in a game with student, college, or professional athletes. I've seen, especially in the past three months, friends and family even become social media warriors and become even divisive and argumentative trying to win people to their party or their person. I've seen friends, in essence, sell their souls to companies or to their jobs that are promising wealth and power. It's easy for us to look around and say, how foolish can you be? Believe it or not, I don't understand um, decorating. It doesn't make sense to me. I think everything should have a purpose and shouldn't be pretty necessarily. Kylie, my wife has reminded me that that's okay and that's her job and not mine. Uh, she was recently given an, a new plant as a housewarming gift by one of our friends. And this plant is it's pretty, it's beautiful, it's big and uh, green and provides life and color uh, in contrast to our pretty boring white walls. But this plant also requires a lot of special attention. I don't mean like watering it every week, I can get on board with that. But I mean, like, it has to have the perfect amount of water. It even has specialized food. It has to be at the perfect temperature. It has to have the right amount of sunlight. In fact, some of the leaves have to be wiped off every once in a while. And sometimes you have to shake it to give it a wind simulation. That doesn't make sense to me. To me, that seems a little foolish to spend that amount of time on a thing I mean, I guess it's living, but it could die at any moment, right? That's a lot of time invested. But I'm not immune to it either. I spend countless hours watching TV or playing video games, literally wasting time. I also willingly and happily will drive out of my way, spend many, many hours, sign up to receive daily emails, and download countless apps, all for the purpose of finding a good deal. Here's my point. No matter how foolish we are, no matter how much money we have or we don't have, no matter which team we cheer for, no matter which person or party we side with, no matter how we spend our extra time, whether caring for plants, watching TV, or trying to find a good deal, there's a seat at the table for each of us The the ground at the foot of the cross is level. But God needs to be the main thing. And if the main thing is no longer the main thing, then we're not doing it right. Solomon was wise when he trusted in the Lord to lead him. But Solomon was extremely foolish when he started to trust in his own wealth and his own empire. And we see the result in his words in Ecclesiastes where he says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun. All of your meaningless days of the life God has given you, all of your meaningless days. Solomon's folly and loss of focus led to a yearly intake of gold that was opposed to God. It led to him trusting in his own stuff and his own empire. It led to him worshiping idols and pagan gods and even to oppressing others. You see, just 500 years before Solomon's reign, God through Moses had led Israel out of oppression, out of bondage, out of slavery, out of Egypt. But Solomon in his empire building needed to have labor to literally build. And so he enslaved other nations. I don't know if I'm alone here, but I've been there. I've, I've let my focus shift from God to my own stuff, my own empire. I, I try to find my source of life and hope and abundance in my money, my capabilities, my own things. And I know intellectually that whatever I buy or do or make or however much money I have, I know that that will never guarantee me comfort, peace or hope or freedom. And yet I consistently fall into this trap of trusting in my own empire. My perspective shifts from considering the blessings I've been given to feeling like I've been entitled to what I have. And eventually all my stuff breaks, the shine fades away, something newer or better comes out or somebody else comes along with more money than I have or I have to spend my money and then I don't have it anymore. It's an endless cycle of trying to find contentment in the things that will never give it to me. Here's the truth. Money, stuff, empire. None of these will truly satisfy us or bring abundant life. And if you want proof, take a look at the usage rates for antidepressants, for suicide, for loneliness and isolation. I was talking to a guy the other day who randomly opened up to me about making $150,000 a year, which, believe it or not, is a lot more money than I make. But are all of his debts paid off? Is he worry-free? Has he found contentment? No. In fact, he was sharing how his debt-to-income ratio was so high that it was actually plummeting his credit score and how he found himself spending his money on things that he didn't need, like $900 earrings for his four-year-old daughter. One thing you may not know about me is that I have a deep love and admiration and respect for rap music. And before you write me off, before you count me out, I minored in English, and I think it's really creative how they can craft words and sentences on top of a catchy beat and all without twanging guitars. One of my favorites is a guy named John Bellion. In his album from a couple years ago called The Human Condition, he speaks to this candidly over the course of a couple songs. He talks about how even though we're always connected, we always Are online, we have GPS on our phones, we're always connected, how we often feel lost, lonely, isolated, or alone. He talks about how America is is the wealthiest and and we, we enjoy the most wealth and prosperity that the world has ever seen. Yet, we're workaholics, we're addicted to pain pills or pills in general, and we endlessly spend the money that we have. Lastly, he talks about money, although it may be gold, is still a chain. Here at Greenville Oaks, our mission is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we believe that that's the best way of life possible. We believe in the words of John 10, where it says that Jesus came to bring the abundant life, life to the fullest. We also believe that this kind of life satisfies us truly and deeply, giving us the contentment that we all desire. And when we live into this abundance, into this full life and share it with others, we combat isolation. So as we close today, let me leave you with this benediction, this blessing. Today and this week and into this new year, may you, my sisters and brothers, be wise enough not to lose sight of what God is doing in and around you. May you not fall prey to the trap of foolishness of hoping and trusting in your own stuff and wealth, your own empire. But may you hope and trust in the Lord, our God, the only one who can truly satisfy you, the bringer of the abundant life. And may you share the abundance that is yours in Christ Jesus. Go in peace today.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.